Well, a listener says, hey, Dan, all this talk about setting goals and getting things done sounds great, but I'm a thinker, not a doer. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, what do you think? Do you need a tune-up or a complete overhaul? You know, we're still here at the beginning of the year. Great time to be looking at that. You're just going to have some little kind of subtle realignment in what you're going to do, or are you going to really make a break and head off in a new direction? We're hearing from lots of you who are doing both of those things. Delighted to hear the plans you're making. You know, last week, I asked, well, the, the lead-in was, I know what to do, but I can't make myself do it. We had a whole lot of you that that apparently kind of uh, struck a nerve, and you commented on that. I'm delighted to have you do so. We're going to talk some more about that. What is it that keeps us from doing? There may be some unique kind of built-in traits that we have that make us more of a thinker than a doer. Well, we'll look at that. So the questions, I know what I need to do, but I'm easily turned back to wonder and invention. Somebody asked, how can I make some money off the land I just inherited? Where do you find potential customers who aren't broke? Love that question. We're going to dig in. Someone asked, how are universities going to come back? How could you choose where to live before you decide what you're going to do to make money? Somebody commented on that because I said, that's always what Joanne and I have done. All right, here's our quotation. Now we're going to jump in. Got a lot to cover today. Quotation comes from T.E. Lawrence in his book, Seven Pillars of Wisdom, where he says, there are dreamers. But not all human beings dream equally. Some are dreamers of the night who in the dusty recesses of their mind dream and wake up in the morning to find it was just vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous people because they act their dreams into reality with open eyes. Now, how about that for a clear picture? Dreamers of the day are dangerous because they act their dreams into reality with open eyes. In today's sophisticated, you know, technological world, we often just dismiss our night dreams as maybe too much pizza or a pizza birthday cake you shouldn't have eaten or having too much on your mind when you went to bed. But what about those daydreams? You know, are they just to be dismissed as random thoughts passing through our brains? Or could they be the seeds of creative problem solutions, great new opportunities and insights into perhaps unrealized potential? Napoleon Hill in Think and Grow Rich, you know, we're going to be studying that this entire year in our Eagles community, starting off on January 25th with desire. Can't wait to get into that, unpack it together. But Napoleon Hill said, cherish your visions and dreams as they are the children of your soul, the blueprints of your ultimate accomplishments. That's a pretty clear picture. Your dreams are the blueprints of your ultimate accomplishments. Henry Ford was famous for wanting his employees to spend time thinking and dreaming. He didn't want people to just work all the time. Well, what about your boss? Does he want you to sit and think more, put your feet up on the desk and lean back, close your eyes and think? Well, maybe not. But 
people who recognize moving into the future, recognize where creativity, imagination come from, yeah, we have to have time to dream. So what's a recurring dream that you've had? I mean, could it be the seed for a direction that God wants you to move into? All right, a couple cool things here. Uh, one is I want to give you a resource that really ties into what we're talking about here today, and that is, what if my dream isn't paying the bills? I mean, that's the obvious next question you all are probably having. Well, yeah, I dream, but, and then we stop right there. But, you know, it wouldn't be practical or realistic to try to do that and make money, support my family and myself. Nope. Well, we got a resource for you. What if my dream isn't paying the bills? Go to 48days.com slash creativity. And you're going to find a resource there. Now, that came from a podcast I did, I don't know, probably a year or so ago, in which I answered a father's question about a son, his son, who wanted to pursue a writing career, but the parents were concerned that he'll not be able to make a living. So there was a whole lot of listeners who were in that boat and a whole lot of listeners who responded to that. And one of our listeners, Heather Bonham, created a study guide to go along with that. And she said that podcast should be required listening for students who want to pursue a creative path. I want my daughter not only to listen, but really study this podcast. Therefore, I created a study guide for it. I plan to pay my daughter for her time to listen to your podcast and complete the study guide. So she attached a study guide. And with her permission, we're passing it on to you. So again, go to, we're going to give you some fodder here to think about this, but 48days.com slash creativity is where you can go to get that resource. All right, a couple of good news things here, and we'll move right into these packed, power pack questions. You know, there's a couple of years ago, actually it was back in 2019, I started talking about rails to trails. And it's this process whereby states and communities are changing, no longer used train rails, that space to create bike trails. Now think about how cool that is, because if a train can pass through it, you know, it's pretty level ground. So they're creating now what will ultimately be 3,700 miles of these trails that connect. They're connecting now more than 145 existing paths. More, almost 2,000 miles have already been completed. Now, ultimately, it's going to go from Washington, D.C. to the, the, the Gulf, the ocean side of the state of Washington, so that's going to be the entire path. That'll be really cool. I mean, I love the fact that we're seeing more value in that. There's been a real surge of people riding bicycles during the pandemic here, recognizing the need to be outside, to get exercise, to not be just sitting, you know, vegetating somewhere. So there's been that. Now, I'm down here in Florida, so I'm way south of where this Rails to Trail will be. However, we have down here the Legacy Trail, which is a really delightful a 12 and a half mile recreational trail. It's one of those old old railroad track, no longer being used, and it runs from Sarasota right down here to Venice. And we love that. It's 0.8 miles, 0.8, less than a mile from our house where we can ride right down the sidewalk, get on it, go either way. We can actually go down and connect with my daughter, Ashley, with where they just bought a house. 
the Legacy Trail. Anyway, just, uh, you know, fun things to be involved in in your community. There may be a section of the Rails to Trail that you can get involved in, help that be developed. I think it's a, a great thing for our country. You know, they, sometimes we talk about famous people doing wonderful things, and certainly we commend them on doing that. Uh, this is just a neat piece that I saw. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Remember The Rock? Well, remember him. Good grief, he's still really active, but he was in Fast and Furious. Um, so anyway, The Rock. Well, he's known to be a really likable guy, and he has a foundation that helps at-risk and terminally ill children. He's doing a lot of really cool things. But one of the things he just did, he gave an old friend a brand new Ford F-150. This is pretty cool. This guy is older than The Rock, and he took him in when he was just homeless as a teenager in Tennessee. You know, he really he wanted to be a professional wrestler. Of course, he did that for a long time, but he, he was having a tough time making a go of it, and this guy named Bruno took him in, let him stay with him, and then about nine years later, he was Dwayne Johnson, the Rock was having a hard time again, and again, Bruno said, hey, you can stay in my trailer. So he gave him a place to live. So it was just that kind of helping him out along the way. And Dwayne Johnson says his kindness and his heart really helped change the trajectory of his life. You know, sometimes when you're having a tough time, just having somebody who comes alongside, encourages, helps you out with some real needs, I mean, maybe just the tipping point that you need to really get on your greatest success. So he came back, gave him a $30,000 truck and, and said, when you're ready to retire, I've got your back. I've got you covered. That's pretty cool. I mean, I don't know what, what that'll mean, but uh, pretty cool just to get a $30,000 truck from somebody that you were kind to years and years ago. You might be thinking about somebody. Maybe there's somebody in your past that you'd like to bless like that. It may not be a $30,000 truck, but it may be something simpler than that. You know, maybe a, a wonderful bouquet of flowers to brighten their day. Well, look for those opportunities. Here's a question from Dow who says, I just finished listening to your podcast from last week, January 15th. I was interested in your take on those who struggle to do things they're supposed to do. And I quoted a, a scripture last week, pretty harsh, but it, it's from Romans 14. It says, if you know what you should do and don't do it, it's sin to you. And he says, yeah, I've heard that. But have you seen Patrick Lencioni's new working geniuses model? In it, it explains how you get stuff done. Some are great creators. Some are great at process. Others are finishers. This is simplified, but you get my idea. My genius is lie in the areas of creation, which means I do great at coming up with new ideas and looking deeper into the world, but I'm terrible at finishing things. This doesn't mean I don't have to use tenacity at times, but it also means there will probably always be unfinished work around me. I have to surround myself with those who push me to stay on track and finish when it gets bogged down. I know what I need to do, but I'm easily turned back to wonder and invention. Perhaps the reason some struggle is they weren't made that way. They need help to finish. It's not that they get a free pass, but recognizing this about myself allows me to know where and why I struggle so I can get help in those areas. Dow, Dow, you have identified a really, really important concept. You're exactly right. You know, when we talk about success, nobody gets there all alone. We all have people around us who have competencies in areas where we're weak. That's the way you do it. That's the way that you 
Ah, that's the way that you move into your zone of genius. Now, what you mentioned, uh, Patrick's new book, you know, this, the genius, well, what, what the title of the book is, uh, wow, what is it? Working Geniuses, I think it is. Yeah, anyway, if you if you go to workinggenius.com, you can see it. And I love the way that he's broken this down. Now, he has six geniuses defined, the genius of wonder, the natural gift of pondering, the possibility of greater potential opportunity in a given situation. Number two is the genius of invention, you know, coming up with really novel new ideas, the genius of discernment, that ability to evaluate ideas and figure out, can this really work? The genius of galvanizing, to rally others, to get involved, to make it happen. The genius of enablement, enablement, providing encouragement and assistance for an idea or project. And then the genius of tenacity, the gift of pushing projects or tasks to completion to achieve results. Now he's got a inventory there. It's 25 bucks. I mean, I'm going to jump over and, and take it right after I finish recording this podcast. I haven't done that yet. I wanted to wait so I didn't bias it with what I'm looking at here. But we have wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enablement, and tenacity. And I think it's really good to understand where you're strong. Now, there's a lot of people who have uh, similar kind of things there. I mean, one of the, the people that I know and talk to about this is Gino Wickman. Gina Wickman is famous for his EOS entrepreneurial operating system that a lot of us use, but he has a primary distinction between visionaries, you know, somebody who has clear ideas about what should happen, what we want to do in the future, has a powerful imagination, you know, has unusual foresight, dreamer, creator, that's a visionary. And visionaries often are just like what you described now. They aren't great at finishing things. And so they need what he calls integrators. They need an integrator, somebody to come along and makes things work, keeps the trains running on time, creates focus, accountability, alignment. You know, those are often, I mean, a lot of times somebody who thinks they want to be an entrepreneur really is a, is a great integrator. They're good at being a number two person. There's a couple of people that come to mind immediately where I've encouraged them to do exactly that. Stop beating yourself up trying to be an entrepreneur you are a great number two person. And they both found positions where they're doing exactly that. They're integrators. So yeah, knowing where you are strong in this is a really critical point. No matter what kind of work you're doing, no, doesn't matter what you do. If you understand, again, your zone of genius. Now, I've talked frequently on here about how I divide activities into four different areas. And those are incompetent activities, things that I can do, but I'm really not good at them. Things where I'm competent, pretty good, you know, can do that, but probably somebody else can do that better. Things where I'm excellent. People know me for doing that. It's what keeps the cash flow coming and all of that. And then there's a zone of genius. But here's how this is actually comes from Michael Hyatt in his material free to focus, where he says the incompetent activities eliminate those somehow get those off your plate. Things where you're competent, where you know you can do it, but somebody else can probably do it better. Delegate those. Let somebody else who has a stronger skill in that area do it. And then things where you're excellent. Yeah, that's where we often get stuck. But if you get stuck there, you're going to deprive yourself of doing what it is that only you can do. So in those excellent activities, systematize, create systems for getting those done, and then move into your zone of genius. Wow. 
I mean, sometimes I ask people, what is the single focus or activity that would keep you fascinated or motivated for the rest of your life? What is that? You know, you're never going to be able to work only in your unique ability. You can get closer and closer. When I first looked at these kind of divisions like this, I was spending about 15% of my time in my zone of genius. My goal for this year, 2020, is to increase that to 75%. I'm probably about 50% there already, but I want to increase that to 75% of my time spent in my zone of genius. That means there's a whole lot of things, Dal, back to your question, that I'm not doing, but I've handed those off other people. Now, one of the wonderful things that we see in our 40 Days community at large and in the Eagles community is that people step up to the plate. They raise their hands and say, I can do that. I mean, just like I, I mentioned, you know, Heather Bonham volunteered to create a study guide for something that I had talked about. You know, what if your dream isn't paying the bills? I mean, I love it when people do that. In going through Think and Grow Rich that we're going to be doing, Melissa Goff who's been in our community, connected for years, she said, how can I help? She's going to create the study guide and handle the questions that come in for that every time we do that. I mean, I love it when people just volunteer where their, where their unique genius becomes obvious and we can share that way what we're doing to help everybody succeed together. All right, this question comes from Mikkel who's from Tulsa, Oklahoma, who says, I'm a small business owner and just inherited some land in a different state. I want to know, who would I talk to about leasing or making money off that land? Well, what a cool thing. Now, I have very few details. That's it. That's the extent of your question there, Mikkel. So I don't have a whole lot to go on. I don't know if it's in town or if it's outside or if it's in the middle of a desert somewhere. So all those things would have a, a major impact. But what a cool thing to inherit some land, even if it is vacant. Now, certainly if it is near other urban development, it may have value just to sell to somebody who is a developer. If it's out in the country somewhere, there may be an adjoining farmer who would be interested in leasing it or having cattle that graze on that or just letting it grow hay and baling the hay and somehow sharing that with you. There's a lot of things like that. You may look at unique uses for the property, like a small plot even to grow popcorn or to grow organic cotton. I mean, those things have a high return for small areas like that. Or having somebody who's interested in coming in with a gardening project. You could divide it up into little plots like our neighbors do and rent those out to individuals to have their own gardens. So they get a really high return on small plots by renting those to people who then have their individual gardens. I had a piece of property one time and I just divided it up into parking spaces and charged people to park things there, their boats and RVs, those kind of things where I would get a monthly fee. But I would I would sit down and just have fun brainstorming again based on where it is geographically, but make a list of 20 possibilities and then start talking to people who have adjoining property to maybe expand that or get ideas from them where there may be an immediate kind of use. All right, here's here's a question. I love this. I'm gonna I'm gonna play the audio from this one. Um, this comes from Kent, who has a question about finding customers who aren't broke. Well, 
let, let's check this out. This is going to touch a whole lot of you because you, we all struggle with people not having enough money to buy what we have to sell. Check this out. Hi, Dan. In your Finding Your Sweet Spot Masterclass, uh, Ashley read my question, where do you find people who aren't broke? Well, what I was trying to say was, suppose you have a service or product to purchase. You pass out business cards to people you know or are acquainted with, but everyone you know can't afford your service or product because they have no money or no interest or both, usually the case. Uh, this came from my cousin who had a difficult time when she tried selling her books. I told her, you know, we just got to quit hanging out with people who have no money. So where do you really find the people who actually can afford to pay for the privilege of your product or service? Your thoughts. And thanks for the great master class. I was very flattered. Ashley took my question. Thanks, Dan. Bye-bye. Well, thanks, Ken, for your question because it addresses a whole lot of us. It doesn't matter if you're coaching, writing, selling books, as you mentioned, or speaking, or if you're making widgets, or if you're growing strawberries, or if you're mowing yards, or washing windows, or detailing cars. I mean, we, we all have something that we're selling. If you have a traditional job, you're selling your services every single day. And your employer may say, well, I don't have enough money for that. You know, you want to raise, think you deserved it because you've been here another year. Well, I don't have enough money for that. Well, so we're all selling. Here's the deal. Money is not a scarce resource. There is money everywhere. Everybody has money. But nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I'm going to see where I can spend $20 today on a book. Nobody wakes up saying, wow, I wonder if I can find a coach that I can give $5,000 to coach me. Nobody says, whoa, you know, I think maybe I need to just go find somebody that will take my $500 for, you know, for a course that they have. It doesn't work that way. Nobody has a budget for what you have to sell. So the issue is, you have to convey the value of what it is that you have. Money is not a resource issue. It's a priority issue. There's always money. Those customers who can't afford your book, guy, they go out to eat. You know, they go to the movies. They go to the mall and get a $100 handbag. They have cell phones. They have cable TV. They have a stocked refrigerator. They have money. So what is the deal when you confront somebody who has no money? No. What you're really being told is, well, of course we have money. We're not going to give it to you because we don't see as much value from giving it to you as we do from giving it to other people. Simple as that. That's it. It's not a matter. Don't think you have to move to find people with more money. Now, granted, if you live in the ghetto and you're selling Mercedes, you may not have a lot of prospects there. But for the most part, it's not a matter of people not having I've had people surprise my socks off in paying for coaching, in paying for coaching, in paying for products that we have seminars 
books and so on, where even by outward appearances, it appeared that they were very, very poor. No, if they want it badly enough, they'll choose to make that investment. So don't, when you hear these no's, you know, what do we tend to do? Well, we tend to just say, well, you know, do you know anybody who could afford this? You know, or what about if I come back in six months? Or what if I lower the price? But see, those are not good approaches at all. The approach is, you know, we all, we all have, when, when you talk to somebody about a product that you have, you have your product and they have their money. As long as their money appears to have more value than your product, they're going to hang under their money. But if you elevate the perceived value of what it is you have, they'll part with the money every single time. So it comes back to work on your sales skills so that you wow them with what you have rather than going to try to find other people. I mean, if you have a book to sell, I mean, you can try to find the right people to buy that. You'll wear yourself out because you'll never find them. You can go to Starbucks and walk down the line and just as likely find great candidates for it if you have a really compelling presentation. So work on that. Well, <laughs> golly. oh man, I'd like to park there all day long because so many people get caught in that trap. Well, nobody has the money. I mean, we train coaches. Is that a common response? A common dilemma? You better believe it. I've got a great coaching package, but nobody I talk to can afford it. No, absolutely not true, not true, not true. You simply need to work on how you describe your coaching so they are willing to part with their money, and they will. Well, music, just a reminder, these are real questions coming in. Obviously, I don't make these up, but uh, we appreciate your questions. It's an honor for me to look through those and to just kind of unpack these things together as we hopefully can all grow. And certainly I do. I mean, I learn so much from hearing your questions and having the privilege of just kind of unpacking it and providing resources. It prompts me to go look for resources so they can pass those on to you as well. But if you got a question or success story, comment on a past episode like we got a lot this week in response to last week where gee i know what to do but i can't make myself do it well just shoot those into me at askdan at 48days.com that's the easiest way you can leave an audio there any page on our 48days.com site will give you the option for a little microphone you can leave an audio there like kent just did or you can just shoot that in again to askdan at 48days.com. Well, a couple more here and we'll wrap up. Here's one from Roxanne, who's very active in the Eagles community. She says, I just finished listening to your podcast from this past Friday, and I wanted to share with you something I had experienced last week. You were talking about David Hull, who's a futurist, and how he said the traditional role of going to college just doesn't work anymore. Last Friday, I decided to visit Syracuse University, my alma mater which is about five miles from my house. I like to go over there to the Starbucks near the campus, observe the students and activity. I know it would be quiet because of COVID and online study, but I went anyway. Imagine my surprise when the first thing I noticed was all the empty parking spots in and around campus. It was as if I was on a pre-construction empty movie set. I still parked a couple of blocks away because I wanted to walk in the fresh air when I went inside the Starbucks, there were a couple of people waiting for their orders, but there were no tables and chairs to sit at. 
I looked over at the wall where there's a shelf under the window to stand at, looked inside, looked inside while sipping your favorite beverage, but it had this had a this table is closed sign every three feet. With no place to sit or stand with my coffee, I went next door to a small mall on campus where I knew there was a common area for students to hang out. When I went up the stairs, there were three people hanging out who looked homeless, watching the TV screens on the wall, and another strange-looking man reading a book at a table. I just kept walking with my coffee, passing empty bulletin boards that would usually be plastered with flyers of activities. As I made my way back to my car, the quiet and deserted campus gave me an uneasy feeling. Instead of passing a student, I passed an older man smoking a cigarette. As I sat in my car, I looked over at the large frat houses. There was graffiti on it. I watched traffic lights change for no one. All this made me wonder, how does this university come back? Will students come back? What about all the employees that work there? Uh, Syracuse University is one of the largest employers in our community. David Hull is right. Adaptive and resilient are two words we need for the future. I miss the vibrant Syracuse University I once knew. Thanks for all you do to inspire me every day. Well, thanks, Roxanne. That's a really painful, poignant observation that you made to go back and visit on campus. They have changed, and I don't think they're ever going to come back to the way they were. Too much has changed. Too many people have discovered that we can access training, education in so many ways. People are recognizing, you know, some of the primary values of college and university are the frat houses, are the football games, the social things. But if you really just want an education, it's easy to access that. And although those two go together without the ones there for the education, they really can't survive. I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. I mean, we can say that about some other organizations. I mean, there are companies who are realizing uh, their employees don't want to come back to the office, even if we decide that it's safe to do so. They don't want to come back. Churches, I heard just yesterday, the predictions are that 45% of people who are going to church and aren't during this pandemic will not return. 45% of people won't go back to church. What's it going to do to churches? We're going to have vacant buildings. That doesn't mean that people are going to give up their spirituality. Not necessarily, because there are other ways to connect and engage, but to go to a church building on Sunday, 45% are not going to go back. Now, I don't have easy answers for this, but it gives us as thinkers, creators, dreamers, entrepreneurs, imagineers, those of you who are listening to this, it gives us opportunity to look for creative ways to keep moving forward. This last year, we've had a whole lot of people who pivoted in what they were doing. On this last week, on our Monday mentor call in the Eagles community, I had Kent Julian on. Kent is a speaker. That's what he does. He makes his money by being on stage in front of people. When March hit in this last year, all of a sudden, he had over 20 engagements cancel. Nothing there. 20 engagements. Those are things where he's well paid for being a speaker. And you pull that out, That's there goes his income. Did he just become desperate, despondent, sit on the sidewalk, twiddle on his thumbs? No. He pivoted. He said, how can I serve those organizations? He reached out with kind of a trial 
Olive Fig to some of those. And they said, yeah, we really could use training in this arena. So he changed, rather than giving a keynote speech, changed to having training modules. And he told us on Monday, he had the biggest third and fourth quarters he's ever had in his life. Now think about that. He did zero of what he intended to do at the beginning of the year. He had to change that fast. But he had the biggest third and fourth quarters he's ever had in his life. That's pretty profound. Now I could go on. There's a whole lot of examples of people who did that, but that's what we have to do when these things change. When there are changes, we have to figure out. So if you are a university, how can you engage in moving kids forward when things are changing so rapidly? It's not that it's impossible. It's just that we have to do it differently. How can you provide information to motivate people. I mean, we did that in moving from live events, as I told you, we did that three years ago, where we went from live events to online, not knowing if that would work. I mean, it's different than sitting in a room with other people. We were we had our events with 60 people in those. You know, we would have, that was a blast. Boy, the energy is high sitting in there with 60 people. We'd take a break and go out and, you know, play cornhole or walk the nature trail, or go down to zip line, you know, and then we have, a, have famous Dave's big red truck show up and cook hamburgers and hot dogs right there on our property with the smoke billowing up. I mean, that's a very visceral, unique, physical connection experience, no doubt about it. We aren't duplicating that, but we are duplicating the idea of how can we share ideas and resources together so it inspires all of us to keep moving forward. We just did it in a different way. These organizations are going to have to do that. They can't expect things to go back to normal. I don't think we ever will. So the question then becomes, how do we move forward in new and unique ways rather than hoping we can go back to the way things were? I mean, this is, wow, as David Hull, the futurist, told us this decade that we moved into in 2020. So from 2020 to 2030, he says we're going to see more change in that decade than human history has ever seen. So get ready, but put on your dreaming cap, your thinking cap, your imagination. That's what's going to open the doors for you and keep you from being vulnerable or feeling trapped or victimized as we move forward. All right. Anthony says, Dan, love your podcast. I was listening to your podcast you did back in November of 2020, and it, you mentioned that you enjoy and never selected a place to live based on chasing employment opportunities. You would simply pick out a place you wanted to live, and then when you arrived, you'd then figure out how to make income. Could you explain how you did that? If you were dropped off in a new town today, what's the first thing you would do to start making income? Assuming you were not Dan Miller and did not have Dan Miller's vast connections or audience. Thanks, Dan, for all you do. Well, I could uh, change my identity and do this as well. I could become John Doe or Fred Smith. Well, I shouldn't use that. That's a famous name. But I could become, you know, John Doe or, uh, (laughs) you know, Ray Charles, whatever. I could change my name, and I think I could still do exactly what I described. So it's not heavily based on, I mean, we've moved to places where I really didn't know anybody. I mean, when we moved from Kentucky to Tennessee, it was because I thought um, 
being closer to a major airport would be nice. We thought it had nice cultural changes, opportunities for our kids, uh, the dip, four different seasons without being real harsh in any of them. So it had all those things we looked for and we moved there without any connections at all or plans about what I was going to do. I've done that multiple times. Now, granted, I'm, And it's not that I have a really strong resume that I'm going to go out and then just find a job. Now, I think I could do that as well. Now, my resume, I mean, I I mean, it would be kind of strange because I've never had a real job, but I certainly could put that together. I mean, I have a master's and, um, and of course, did all my doctoral work. So I've got degrees that I could put on there that would be impressive. And I could certainly look for opportunities to, you know, teach, train, consult, coach, whatever. I mean, I certainly could do that. But also there are other things that are much simpler that are not dependent on degrees that I have. So when we would move to an area, when I decided where I was going to do my graduate work from a master's degree, you know, we went there. Well, I did get a teaching assistantship, which helped, but I just hit the streets. You know, what is that I can do? Well, I happen to enjoy painting. And I'm not talking about as an artist, I'm talking about painting houses and apartments. So I would go out, but rather than look for a job where I was going to be paid you know, 10 $12 an hour and have to be there at a certain time, I didn't want to do that. I wanted the flexibility to show up when I wanted to, and also the open-endedness of bidding a job and making extraordinary income. So I would bid jobs. I'd see a house that needed to be painted. I'd knock on a door, and I'd give them a bid to paint. I usually included everything, paint and everything in that. And then when I did that was dependent on my own time. But in doing so, I could effectively, you know, make, you know, I could effectively make, you know, $40, $50 an hour, even back then by painting and knowing what I was doing. I would, you know, sometimes clean up cars or repair cars or do light remodeling. There's a lot of things that I've done that I could do no matter where we were geographically, I could do instantly. And that's how we've approached it. Now, in a recent move, of course, we moved from Tennessee to Florida. Uh, again, this may not be a, a real great answer, Anthony, to your question. But in moving, again, we selected exactly where we wanted to live. It had nothing to do with my work at all. It had everything to do with where is that absolutely dream, ideal spot we want to live. That was our criteria. So we selected a place that had exactly what we were looking for, and we absolutely love it. Now, that being said, yes, it is pretty easy for me to be portable with my work at this point, because being an author, speaker, podcaster, coach, those things are very transportable. Those don't have much to do with geography. So I'm, I'm kind of spoiled in that regard. But if I didn't have those skills, and if I wanted to do just the things that I was mentioning Prior to that, I still am confident I could be dropped anywhere in the United States. I won't say the world. I mean, I've got kids who you could put anywhere in the world. I describe my son Jared like that. He's the quintessential, you know, international guy. You could drop him anywhere in the world, and in 24 hours, he'll be conversant enough in the language to get by, have a place to live, and know what he's going to do to create income. And we've seen that played out time and time again. So it's really that belief in yourself, looking inside at what kind of skills you do have that you could draw from. And there ought to be multiple things. I mean, if you only have the possibility of, of, 
getting, you know, one or two jobs in a particular area, you know, you're going to be pretty limited in what your options are when you can get out like that. But my goodness, most of you have the ability to do a whole lot of things and you can simply start looking around and, and do that. Imagine, where would you like to live? If it were, if you weren't dependent on making money at all, where would you live? I, mean, I don't care if it's an island somewhere. If you really want to live there, you can figure out how to make money. There's just way too many opportunities for making money and having fun doing that. Well, guy, I love the questions here. Again, if you got questions, shoot those into askdan at 48days.com. I love unpacking these together. We've had a lot of fun this week talking about uh, doing what you don't want to do. Well, maybe you need to delegate it. Maybe you don't need to do what you don't want to do. I mean, I don't do much of what I don't want to do. I delegate it to people who love doing those things and do it much better than I do. If you have an idea where you want to work in, where you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to do something on your own, the first thing you want to start looking at is what is it you can delegate? Because if you do everything, you're going to hit a ceiling real quickly. What is it you can delegate? Well, let's go back to our quotation for today and we'll wrap up. I want to give you my quotation again coming from T.E. Lawrence who said, there are dreamers, but not all human beings dream equally. Some are dreamers of the night who in the dusty recesses of their mind and wake up in their morning to find it was just vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous people because they act in their dreams into reality with open eyes. Well, I know you're a dreamer of the day. Embrace that. Don't just shove it away. Think, well, that's just a random thought. No, explore those things. The dreams of the day. That may be the door to your future. That may be the solution to something we're seeing right now as a challenge. Where we can't do it the way we've always done it. Things are going to change. What are you going to do in this decade that is different than what you did in the previous one? Follow your dreams. Well, thanks for being part of this community where we are dreaming together. Where we know, without any doubt, we can, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how fast things are changing, no matter that we can't do what we were doing last year, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.